0: So unlike the pismon for the third night, which is very brief, which is very melodic, whose stanzas are only two sentences long, and which reads very quickly, (coughs) the pismon for the fourth night of Slichos Minach Polin, is an entirely different style and an entirely different structure. It was written by a well-known possek in the 11th century, a Sardic possek, Rabbeinu Yitzchak ibn Giat. Those who have uh, studied a Sefer of His, a very well-known Sefer, Mer Sharim um, or Sefer Halachas, or Yitzchak Ibn Giyat, was quoted by many of the later Rishonim, the Ramban and, and his contemporaries, in Halachic works. So, <clears throat> this is a much earlier Sefer, it's a Svartic-influenced Sefer, or Svartic-influenced slicha. excuse me. Each stanza has four sentences instead of two sentences. But it's not just that the stanzas are longer, rendering them much less melodic. By the time you get to the choral refrain, which in this case is, Malki Velokai, my king and my god, ki et Palal, I'm davening to you. By the time you get to that final refrain, it doesn't necessarily rhyme with most of the stanzas. It's only the last of the four lines of the stanza that rhyme with that refrain. So the last line always ends with a kamas, et Palal. Michulal, Yehulal, Mechulal, Hagalal. But the rest of the stanza doesn't necessarily rhyme with Etpalal. So these are very, very long stanzas. It's always interesting, as an Ashkenazi, davening an Ashkenazi, Slichos, to listen to the Chazan try to render this, to say it with the classic... Ashkenazi tone for the Slichos. The classic Ashkenazi tone is So that's the classic tune for the pismone, And it really fits very well with a two-sentence stanza. It doesn't fit well at all with a four-sentence stanza. And you find Ashkenazic Chazanim in Ashkenazi slichos sometimes fumbling through, sometimes losing the tune, not really matching tune to words, because it's really a a classic Svardi pizmon that needs classic Svardi tunes or classic Svardi rhythms. So it's an interesting pismon and also the words are very heavy, they're very very unfamiliar. They're not classic words. Again, to contrast it to the pizmon of the Third Night. These are classic words that we've seen and we will see and we'll repeat in all of the piyutim of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. The words just roll off of our tongues and even if we don't know what they mean, but we're going to say them a lot and and they ring with familiarity. The words and the imagery in this pismo are very, very unfamiliar, very, very non-conventional, but on the other hand, being that each stanza is four lines instead of two lines, so the imagery is developed much more Um, detailed, Uh, they're not general, they're not vague, but they're very specific, Uh, they're very lush in imagery. And if you know Tanakh, then each of these words and phrases evokes parallel imagery from their natural setting in Tanakh. So I'll just try to describe a few of them, but it's a very, very different pismon. If you're listening to this shir, and then you'll recite this slich a few hours later, you can't help but notice that this phrase, or this pismon, called the Ashmaraz Haboker, the pismon of the fourth night, is very, very different. So, the pismon is called Ashmaras haboker, in the early stages of the morning, krasicha mulal, I've called out to you my praiseworthy God, so it, it's a classic way to begin a slicha. I'll just mention again the fact that, ideally, slichos should be set in the third Ashmarat, which is early in the morning, uh, where we we're meikil, so to speak, to recited after Chatzels, but it really should have been recited towards the end of the evening and the third Ashmarat, the third shift of the three shifts of the evening, the celestial shifts. Rav Moshe Feinstein has a well-known shuva in which he was matir b'sha Siddhachak, to say two hours before Chatzels, Rav Adi Yosef strong, strongly disagreed. But you'll have a lot of these phrases, be ha because slichos were originally intended to be said at first thing in the morning, waking up an hour before davening and then leading into davening. Anyway, um, if there's one interesting flavor of the pismon is that there are four or five references to Eov, and that would be a very strange, very strange referencing. Um, why would we be quoting Eov? Eov is something which is more naturally suited to when We think about the injustice of our world, the frustration of not having a perfect world, and that imperfect world having been launched by the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. But Eov is in a Litigation, so to speak, with Hakarish Hu. He feels that he's being judged, in his mind, unfairly, and to a degree, and this is what makes the Sefer so controversial and so powerful and so difficult to read, he's trying the Shalom. He's questioning divine justice. So there is a bilateral litigation taking place. There's a suit and a counter suit in Eov. Now, of course, we don't sue the Rabbanishalam, Chalilavachas, on Rosh Kipper, but we certainly are being judged. And a lot of the phrases to those who have read Eov, or familiar with Eov, bring us right back to Eov. And even if you haven't read Eov, and I'll try to mention some of those phrases, this is clearly one of the slichos, one of the pismonim, which gets very, very nitty-gritty about the Day of Judgment. It doesn't just speak about being judged in general, but it really gives the sense of a human being standing in front of that trial, in front of the heavenly court, having his merits and demerits, having his his, uh, good deeds and bad deeds weighed carefully, nowhere more than in the third stanza of this pismon, And the third stanza, again there are five stanzas, it reads as follows, Chai Avkal, and again you'll see how heavy and dense. The the living one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who rides on light clouds, in if you will measure me. So we're referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as being light, as as hovering on light clouds, and that rhymes with HaKadosh Baruch Hu weighing our deeds, Bimishkal. So Avkal is a light cloud, Mishkal is a scale. And I'll just paraphrase now in English, because just to read the Hebrew would, would be too long and, I think, disorienting. My righteousness should be as numerous as the grains of sand. K'chol yam yitkal. It should be as numerous as the grains of sand. And that's a reference to Eov. Eov, at some point in Parak Vav, mentions that his suffering and his pain is as numerous as sand. And, of course, Eov is playing off of the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avraham Avinu that his children will be as numerous as the grains of sand. So you have a third-level image Eov plays off of HaKadosh Baruch who's promised promise to Avram, and, and this Piot, or this Pismon, plays off of Eov. So we're hoping that our righteousness should be as numerous as grains of sand, and our evil deeds should be as light as a feather, kinotza So these are words, again, that you don't often come into contact with when reading Slichos. But we're asking the light Hashem, so to speak, the weightless Hashem that hovers above the earth, while he's judging us in scales, that our righteous deeds should be as numerous as grains of sand, and our evil deeds should be as light as feathers, which would mean that if they're placed on opposing sides of the scale, then the side of the scale with the righteous deeds, which are heavy, which are sand, will dip, will depress, and the other side of the scale of uh, wicked deeds will rise, and that would be a favorable judgment. So, we're not just asking in general for a favorable decree, but we're really getting to the nitty-gritty. We're, we're, we're fixing, we're gaming the scales, that if the scale were to just dip in our favor, we'd be all right. And, and keep in mind that the, the Mazal, the Zodiac sign for Chodesh uh, Tishrei, is a sign of scales. So it, it creates a mood. It creates, obviously you're not going to, you're not going to triumph on Rosh Hashanah by tipping the scales. You can't really tip the scales, but it puts in your mind this real sense of litigation, of judicial processing in ways that maybe are more vivid and more compelling and more—it's not, not inspiring, at least compelling, and cre- convey that sense of fate and significance and gravitas. And this is a heavy moment. And then that stanza continues. And if the ways of my life are mi'ukal, and here are the rhyme between kal Light clouds, mishkal, the weights, yitkal, will be weighed, yekal, my evil deeds will be as light as a feather, kal, and if the ways of my path have been perverted, yitkal, me'ukal, um, distorted, perverted, not straight. And here, listen to this phrase, Vidinik yishar niskal, and I deserve to be treated like a shara niskal. niskal is a very, very detailed halachic scenario where a person owns an animal that gores a human being. That animal um, has to be put to death under certain circumstances. The owner may be deserving of death and can buy his way out through kofar. Kofar—that's called shor a shor that's stoned. So all of a sudden, and the author of this pia, the author of this Pismon, of course, had deep halachic knowledge. So he was referencing detailed halachos in this case of bava kama in the uh, excuse me, in the fourth and fifth parak shor He's referencing very, very detailed halachic imagery that if the ways of my behavior have become perverted, and I should be treated like a shar in skull, I should be stoned. So this is a way, poetically, of evoking very powerful, very compelling imagery. You deserve to be stoned, you're a shar in skull. So in that case, we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, use a special pelas, use a special weight. And it's unclear what that special weight is, but it's obviously one that would lead to a more favorable verdict. Um, it's based loosely on a Gemar and Rosh Hashanah, Gemara in Rosh quotes one of the 13 midos, HaRachamim is rad Chesed. HaKadosh uh, performs a lot of Chesed. And according to one version of the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, matay Chesed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges us favorably, even if our sins may uh, be equated to our, our mitzvahs, maybe, even if our verdict would under normal circumstances, objective circumstances, be unfavorable, Hashem takes certain measures. And it's a very, very theologically challenging question because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't take measures. He's absolutely honest. But, HaKadosh Baruch makes certain promises to the Jewish people that he will find favorable ways to judge them, favorable ways to consider their chatoyim. This is something we say, by the way, every single time we recite the Yud Gilomidos, Ma'avir Rishon Rishon, which loosely means that Kodesh Baruch will pop the first aver off of the stack under certain circumstances. It's a very famous machlokas between the Rambam and the Raivit, how HaKadosh Baruch pops those first averas off the stack to lead to a more favorable verdict. But at least you should know when you say the Yoshev Al Kisei Rachamim Rishon You're quoting the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, which is the Gemara's interpretation of that Mida of the Thirteen. The Chesed Mate Klape Chesed. So somehow in this stanza in the Pismon on the fourth night, Yitzchak Ibn Giat authored something which was very similar. Again, it's very deep. It's very lush. It's very detailed. You have four very very densely worded. Sentences in this stanza, and the stanza begins with referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as hovering on light clouds, it moves to scale imagery, um, which are light as feathers, mitzvahs which are numerous as grains of sand, distorted paths, a fate which would be likened to a skull to an animal that should be stone, and then some very, very vague and unknown, obviously the author had something in mind, what he calls a pelas meholal, a favorable, praiseworthy, perhaps, scale that would redirect our verdict away from its natural conclusion towards a more favorable one. This is just one example. Let me see if I can find a, a second example. The next stanza, for example. The next stanza, stanza number four, talks about, in general, a theme which we've seen so often, praying for redemption, praying for the rebuilding of Yushalayim. But the imagery is both very different, very specific. Instead of saying Yishalayim should be rebuilt, the stanza begins, Komeim Aron Ubadav, Please rebuild the Aron HaKodesh and its poles that carried it. Badav. The Aron Madav. And please dress Aharon in his clothing, madav, today in modern Hebrew, madim, our uniform, more, more often for soldiers. And then, of course, rebuilding the Beis Mikdash and rebuilding Yushalayim will be, will be, uh, uh, so to speak, facilitated by destroying the evil nations that have afflicted the Jewish people. So once again, there's going to be a prayer for the elimination of the wicked members of Ed- Edom, Christianity, Christendom, and Yishmael, Islam. Now here he can't write it, as we saw in last night's slicha. He can't write it explicitly because it will, of course, set off a firestorm of opposition and anti-Semitism. So listen to how he refers to Esav and Yishmael. He's referring to Yishmael as rovet because Yishmael was a was an archer. He he carried a bow and arrow. Vitzodeh betzedav and the hunter. Who hunted, who hunted his food, hunted his prey. So instead of saying, destroy Esav and Yishmael, which would have been transparent, the archer and the hunter should eat the fruits of their labor, namely the bitter fruit, the poisonous fruit. They should get what's coming to them and they should both be burnt as literally dung burns, which is a reference to Malachim Aleph where Baruch Hu uh, threatens Yeravam, the northern kingdom, the evil kingdom, being burnt to the end. And, and the image of burning excretion, galal, kasher yiva'er ha-galal atumau, that image of burning excrement, or burning uh, waste, it's a malachim alef perak you know, waste is the last thing that remains. If you burn that, nothing will remain. It's totally burnt. So here you have a prayer for the rebuilding of base HaMikdash, the punishing of the evil nations. That's much more detailed. Each, literally, again, each there are four sentences, and each sentence has two parts to it. So there really are eight little phrases in each stanza, and each phrase rolls from one imagery to its related imagery, evoking psokhia that many of us are just not familiar with. If you hunt them down and you see the context, you're able to appreciate the imagery. I'll just um, mention two very, very quick additional imageries. The first paragraph talks about the light and dark imagery. That, uh, and, and being that we're all saying, at night when it really is dark... So it's a very powerful multimedia experience where you're getting up in the middle of the night, but you also feel um, you also feel deadened or weighed down by chet. And one of the imageries associated with chet, the visual imageries, is to be ensconced in a world of darkness. If you look at Tehillim, Parak Lamed Chas in particular, the 38th chapter, David HaMelech is describing his emotional state, recognizing his, his chet and his failure. And it's very dark and his eyes have no light, and he's dizzy, and he can't see straight, and he's enshrouded in darkness. So one of the, one of the poetic, um, emotional moments of Chait is going from light to dark, And this is something which is evoked in that first stanza. He asks Barho, lighten my darkness, And I should see the beauty of the radiant morning, which is a direct reference to Eov, where Eov is telling us that he didn't worship the morning sun, and we're we're constantly referring to Eov. So again, in the first stanza of tonight's Pismon, there's a prayer, not just for Kapara, but for the radiance to replace the darkness. In the second stanza, just because you probably will read those words and and find them familiar, Shvacha Lam Zamecha, pour your anger on those evil nations. Now, we say, We say this every Pesach night. So, it's a reference to Pesach. But if you look up Yicheskel, where this Pesach first appears, it's really a threat hurled at the Jewish people. Kiddush Baruch Hu was so upset and disappointed with Am Yisrael's failure that he wanted to pour his wrath on us and eliminate us. I wanted to destroy you, Hashem says. And the only reason he didn't is because it would be too much of a Chil Hashem, because we represent Hashem in this world, and the fate of the Jewish people represents the fate of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and if our fate declines and HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence diminishes, things I've spoken about in, in other contexts, and obviously this is not the, the exact context to, context to elaborate upon it, but in that respect, in Yecheska Lamites, a threat which was originally hurled at us, that Hashem was going to pour His anger on us, Shvach, I wanted to pour my anger, that becomes redirected to other nations because of the threat of Achilleh Hashem. And that is precisely what this pizmon is evoking. In the second stanza, he asks Hashem to punish the, the evil nations, pour your anger upon them. Why? Because you have to avenge your name, which has been assaulted, which has been defaced, which has been vandalized amongst all the other nations. Asher bagoyim Michulal the chil Hashem that's been caused by Jewish suffering. So if you know Yecheskel Perak L'Amites, this is a very, very powerful image, because you're essentially taking that threat which HaKadosh Baruch Hu hurled at the Jewish people and asking for that threat to be redirected and rerouted to those nations because of the chil Hashem that Jewish suffering causes. So, if you take a moment to just think about the pith, maybe even to look at it inside, it's a hard pith to read. It's very, very dense. I mean, it's, it, you could claim that since there are five stanzas, and each stanza has no less than eight short phrases, there really are 40 different cells. C-E-L-L, 40 different little compartments to this slicha, to this pismon. Those are just some of the broader ideas that hopefully you could lock into.